We're in 1 Samuel. And um, in chapters 25 and 26, <clears throat> we have some Bibles. Tom's got some. And um, if you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand. Tom will hand you one. And I'm told that you can keep it if it's the print's good enough, big enough for you, or uh, and all of that, you can take it, take it home with you. We're following the life <clears throat> of David as he and his 600 warrior men continue to escape from King Saul in the Judean wilderness of southern Israel. Chapter 25 opens with the death of the prophet Samuel, verse 1. Then Samuel died, <clears throat> and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him in his home of Ramah. Now we aren't told much about Samuel's death, just that he was loved and, loved and respected by his people. Uh, he was mourned by them, buried in his hometown, and uh, it was just six miles north of Jerusalem, the capital, the to-be capital. Finishing verse 1, we picked up the story of David's renegade travels as a fugitive, as, a, as a, a criminal to the crown. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran to Maon, a northern village. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. <clears throat> he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. <clears throat> and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. So look at the contrast between Nabal and his wife, Abigail. Abigail is beautiful, literally beautiful appearance. It's the same expression in Hebrew that described Rachel in Genesis 29 and Esther in the book of Esther chapter 2. She was also intelligent, literally good in understanding. And this is seen as a, a godly trait in Psalm 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. Nabal, however, uh, this means uh, he was mean, literally evil. So we find here a polarization between good and evil describing the difference between this man and wife. The narrative continues in verse 4. When David heard, of the heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. The word here in Hebrew is one that most of us are familiar with, shalom. David continues his instructions in verse 2. Tell the man, now I have heard that you have shearers, your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel, that you were in Carmel, 
ask your young men and they will tell you. Now this seems to come in kind of out of the blue. It's explained to us though and to Abigail down in verses 15 and 16. Let's go down and kind of look at those quickly. Verse 15, but David's men were very good to us, this servant tells Abigail, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them, all 600 men, uh, when we were in the fields. Now, what had happened? Well, David and his 600 rowdy rebels set up camp for several days where Nabal's flocks were grazing. Nabal and most of his men were doing business up in Carmel, shearing the sheep and selling the wool. Uh, we read some of that in verse 2, where it said there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. David and his men, while camping in Maon, had protected Nabal's men, his sheep, his goats, from danger, more than likely from Philistine raiding parties. The servant expresses his gratitude to Abigail for the protection provided by David's men. In verse 16, he says this, They were a wall like a fortress to us, both by night and day, all the time we were there with them keeping the sheep. David sends this small delegation to Nabal, asking for food and provision for his men. Finishing verse 8, Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes or be gracious to us, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David, and then they waited. So they're looking at him. Now, David's not making any special demands. He's simply requesting for himself and his men whatever supplies Nabal might be willing to give them in return for the protection they provided. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Well, who is David? And who is this son of Jesse? Now, who is uttered with scorn? And he uses the son of Jesse in an insulting and belittling way. So finishing verse 10, Nabal, Nabal says accusingly, there are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Well, I think he's speaking of King Saul. Nabal knew perfectly well who David was and why David was forced into this vagabond lifestyle. Yet he insinuates that David was in fact being disloyal to Saul. So Nabal lashes out at them. Shall I then make my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they're even from? In other words, on your way. These provisions are for me and my workers. Let your own master provide for you renegades and outcasts. Verse 12. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. In other words, they couldn't get out of there fast enough. And they came and they told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on their sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 st stayed with the supplies. 
Now David's been belittled and disrespected. What he has requested is totally within cultural norms and customs. He's on his way to complain to the management. He's angry. And he's thinking stuff like this. I am justified in doing this. There's no reason why Nabal should treat me like this. He's repaid all my kindness with insults. I'll show him he can't trifle with me. He's angry. Has any of you ever, have you ever reacted to wrongs or injustice in a negative way like that? My first point, if you're following in the bulletin, this is the sinfulness of my human heart, even when it's renewed by grace. I cannot stand against the enemy of my soul unless the Lord upholds me moment by moment. David responds with the S word, put on your swords. And he sets out for Carmel with his 400 men. He's angry enough to take whatever plunder he and his troops desire. We find David rushing to commit a terrible sin. Meanwhile, it seems the Lord is going to intervene. Verse 14. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled or scorned them. Now, Nabal's servant describes to Abigail the shoddy treatment that David's men received. But the men were very good to us, he continues in verse 15. And we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything, as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day. They protected us all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider, or think this over, what will you do? For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that no, that one cannot speak to him. Now this servant has pretty good insight. Uh, he's seen the strength of David's motley crew. He knows his obstinate, inflexible master. And he knows that trouble is coming. Abigail seems to agree with his assessment. Verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Now, Nabal's stinginess is counterbalanced by his wife's generosity. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. So she's on her donkey, and they've got all these other loaded up. And she says, Go on ahead. I'll meet you there. But she doesn't tell her husband. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her and she met them. Now, if you all listen carefully, you can catch what David is telling Abishai as they walk hand in hand in step together. Verse 21, surely in vain I have protected all this that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all, anything belonging to him. 
and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave alive one male of all who belong to him by morning light. And Abishai has shaken his head. You're right on. Let's go. David swears that he will kill every male in Nabal's household by daybreak. Although he later in verse Verses 33 and 34, he expresses his gratitude that the Lord and Abigail kept him from doing so. Verse 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears or directly to you and hear the words of your maidservant. So Abigail is on her feet, quickly to her knees with her face to the ground. She's riding alone into a troop of 400 armed men bent on violence. And this defenseless Abigail knows that she has very little time to turn things around. She immediately demonstrates an attitude of submission. Abigail bows down respectfully to David. She has to get David's undivided attention another, uh, to be able to break through his anger. One Bible scholar points out, I've got it up here, to save Nabal's life, Abigail assumes his guilt, and even though her admission is unacceptably lame, it has succeeded in buying further time. She comes right to the point in verse 25. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal, literally foolish, is his name, and folly is with him. So she's stating very subtly, my Lord, don't let a fool drive you to folly that you will regret later. Her speech is a masterpiece of rhetoric. Abigail shows a wife's self-sacrificial loyalty to her spouse, something prized, a virtue prized by any husband. At the same time, since Nabal is a wicked man, an evil man, her integrity prevents her <clears throat> from pulling any punches. She continues on, finishing verse 25. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. I think she's saying, if I'd been there, things would have been different. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives. I want you to notice when it says, my Lord and the Lord, she's really saying, listen, my Lord, as as Yahweh lives, as Yahweh lives. She's reminding David of who his master truly is. So, therefore, my Lord, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, since Yahweh has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. Abigail senses that it is God who will keep David from harming Nabal and his men, saying, since the Lord, since Yahweh has held you back. A truth that David will acknowledge later down in verse 34, where he says, for indeed, 
as the Lord God of Israel lives who has kept me back from hurting you. I think it's important that we recognize Abigail's godly character in this passage. In six verses, verses 26 through 31, Abigail refers directly to the Lord, to his provision and his divine intervention at least six different times. Verse 27. And now this present, or these gifts, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord Yahweh will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Now Abigail's statement compares closely with the prophet Nathan in his prophecy of 2 Samuel chapter 7. I have it in the NIV here. Your house, verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. A prophecy from Nathan the prophet. Or those words spoken to King Jeroboam years later by uh, by the Lord through the prophet Ahijah, 1 Kings 11, where God is saying through the prophet, I will be with you, Jeroboam, and build for you an enduring house as I built for David. And, and I didn't bring this in, if you follow me, if you keep my commands. Now Abigail is pleading with David not to do anything rash, anything that might endanger or even destroy David's lasting, enduring dynasty. Dr. Gabeline, one of my favorite Bible scholars, he says it this way. So, <clears throat> so clearly is Abigail's statement in this report a shadow of Nathan's prophecy in 2 Samuel, your house will endure, that the rabbis of Talmudic times counted Abigail, quote, among seven women who they believed had been graced by the Holy Spirit, the source of prophecy, unquote. Abigail continues in verse 29. Yet a man has driven, risen to pursue you and seek your life. Well, that's King Saul. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord, with Yahweh your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Will that take your memory back anywhere with David? This pocket of a sling, it's, I think, is a clear reference to David's divinely empowered victory over Goliath. And it shall come to pass, she says, when the Lord, when Yahweh, has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has, that Yahweh has spoken concerning you and has appointed you, what? Ruler over Israel. Now what is this good that God has spoken concerning you, concerning David? Well, it's the Davidic covenant. The promise of an eternal throne from which the Messiah, the son of David, will reign over the entire earth. I have to agree with Gabeline's Talmudic uh, rabbis. I think Abigail is one of the rare female prophets of the Old Testament. Verse 31, she continues, 
that this will be no grief to you, your actions, nor offense of heart to my Lord. Either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. Offense of heart. I think she's referring to the work of the Holy Spirit on our conscience that, can, that he does. In these two verses, Abigail not only recognized God's anointment of David as king, become the, the ruler, uh, number two in our bulletin, but also Abigail is challenging David in this problem with her husband to live up to God's purpose for him. Live up to your purpose that God has for you, David. A great challenge for each of us today, isn't it? Don't offend or go against your heart. That's what God's telling you. Against God's heart within you. Live up to God's purpose that he has for you. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. He's created us, given us gifts to fulfill those, that purpose or those purposes. She's saying, David, do what God is telling you. That's my challenge to you. Do what God tells you. Do not say, we find this in Proverbs 20, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, David, and he will avenge you. Finishing verse 31. But when the Lord, Yahweh, has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Now, one Bible scholar, I, I like this, he interprets this phrase, remember your maidservant in a highly personal sense. Here's how he interprets it. She offers victuals to David's men and she offers to David herself. Then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. You, and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. David recognizes Abigail as the mediator of the Lord's intentions. Vengeance belongs to God alone. David continues in verse 34, For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him, the provisions, and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. This is a strange response for a man of authority to have toward this lowly woman. Is this where the Lord wants to challenge and encourage all of us? as well this morning, number one, first, that we would be more like David, that we would be more like David and listen or heed and respect the voices of people that God sends and brings into our lives, like the voice of this woman, no matter who they are, those who seek to help or to correct us. And then secondly, the challenge that God's people here this morning, you and I, that we will follow the example of Abigail. This is a lesson to all of us who seek to get alongside others uh, to heed in the, those in need, to help them. 
come nearer to the Lord. Abigail's argument was gracious and tender without a word of harshness or rebuke. Our third point in the bulletin. When you're on the point of letting somebody have it, setting them straight, if only you will stop, if only I will stop and kneel as Abigail did in the presence of the Lord, then the Holy Spirit can speak through you and I just as Abigail spoke to David. What was Abigail's example? She followed the wisdom of Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath. Oh yes, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So here's what all this looked like as I went back. Starting with verse 23, she showed respect. She was loyal, (coughs) in this case, (coughs) to her husband, verse 24. She was honest in her words. She recognized God's intentions, here for David especially. She was generous. She challenged David to godliness, verse 31. And last, down in verse 36, we haven't gotten there yet, she picks, she picks her times to speak. There's some real wisdom there. David needed this divine appointment. Number four in our bulletin. We have to learn that the Christian life is a succession of holy moments. It didn't just happen at new birth. Like here with David in which we count on God's grace and strength to to guide us through. No matter how spiritual you were yesterday, today is another day with new challenges and troubles. Back to verse 36. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. Well, who had he just rejected? But here he is, feasting like a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. I like how she tried to tell him nothing, but he kept pressing her. Tell me, you got to tell me. So she told him little or much until morning. So this wasn't the time to approach him. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So after this drunken night, perhaps finding out uh, from Abigail how narrow an escape he had had from David, the news so shocked Nabal that perhaps he had a heart attack or a stroke or something, and the Lord takes his life about ten days later. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and also kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. So this is why God says, Vengeance is mine. You see, God is much more merciful than you and I are. David would have murdered all of Nabal and his men. 
God dealt justly with just Nabal. Which, while we're on the subject, also made this wise and beautiful woman a widow, a marriageable maiden. The fact that didn't go unnoticed to David as we finish verse 39, and David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. Well, he's seen and heard all he needed. He wasn't going to let this beautiful, godly woman get away. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us uh, to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Is that what some of you ladies answered when you were proposed to? Probably not. Probably not. Okay. All right. Well, I like what one Bible teacher says about this. He says, think about this from Abigail's point of view. She's moved up. Yesterday she was married to a scoundrel. Today she's married to the, son, to the soon-to-be king. That is exactly what happened to you the day you gave your life to Jesus. You moved up. Amen. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey attended by five of her maidens, well, godly, beautiful, and rich, we find out. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Now, she's going to find out that she's got a roommate. David also took a, a Hinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. One Bible teacher reminds us of the problem here in this, these verses. David now has two wives, perhaps even three, Abigail and Ahinoam. Although not ordained or condoned by God in Deuteronomy 17:17, 17, 17. this was a common practice in his day, but it was a practice that throughout scripture never failed to end in disaster. And Ahinoam, to give you an example, being the mother of Amnon, who would later rape his half-sister from another wife and destroy David's family, this marriage would prove to be no exception. Absalom was the, the full brother of the sister. In the next chapter, chapter 26, we find King Saul hot on the trail of David once again. Not nearly as heartbroken as, um, over his anger and hatred of David as he was when we left him back in chapter 24. Let me take us with my map to 1 Samuel 26 and orientate us to where we find David and Saul in verse 1. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakilah, opposite Jeshimon. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakilah, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. 
David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. Now these spies do a great job. They get close enough that they're able to pinpoint the exact spot where Saul is going to unpack his bedroll. And their reconnaissance sends David up, sets David up for another daring maneuver. Verse 5. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. He's overlooking it. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay, Saul lay within the camp. He's kind of surrounded with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I'll go down. I'm ready. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp. And the spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. So I've illustrated verse 8 up here on the slide. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth. I'll pin him to the ground and I will not have to strike him a second time. Now Abishai and probably 599 other men believed that God had again delivered David's enemy into his hand and they are smiling. But David comes to another different set of conclusions. That God did this not to take Saul's life, but to show Saul mercy and grace. And to prove David's innocence. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said furthermore, <laughs> this is interesting, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or this day shall, his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. Now, David doesn't know when Saul is going to die, but he does know one thing, that he is not to be responsible for Saul's demise. So he tells Abishai, Abishai, the Lord himself can strike Paul, Saul at any moment. Or, God forbid, he could die of old age. His day shall come. Or, maybe hopefully, the Lord can use the weapons of Saul's enemy. David is absolutely sure of one thing, verse 11. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please, take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head, and let us go. Then he, I think he rethinks. He told Abishai, grab the spear, but it says in verse 12, so David took the spear. That's safer. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away, and no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. We're made privy to this miracle. David and Abishai have been protected by God's secret sleeping powder. Verse 13. 
Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off and a great distance being between them. Now, do you notice anything different yet? Different from when David cut off a corner of Saul's robe back in chapter 24? As Pastor Jared described the scene in chapter 24, it was as though David and Saul were almost standing face to face. In verses 7 and 8 of 24, it says this, And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. The scene here in chapter 26 is quite different. David and his men are standing at a safe distance from Saul and his troops, a place where he could easily escape if anyone comes after him. Verse 14, And David called out to the people and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? They were kind of yelling back and forth. So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? And they're kind of looking at each other. What's he talking about? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. So David continues. He's calling out General Abner's failure to guard the king, even though Abner's not aware of it yet. I've got a slide up here. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see, now he's throwing, putting them on him, see where the king's spear is. And Abner's going, yeah, we wondered where that was. And the jug of water that was by his head. I can just see Saul looking at Abner right now. He's starting to blame Abner. Well, David says this as he holds up the jug and the spear. He's taunting Abner. He's shaming him. Then Saul knew David's voice, and he said, Is that your voice, my son David? It seems that it might be Saul who is starting to feel ashamed once more. David said, It is my voice, my my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? These are the same questions that David asked Jonathan. Remember way back in chapter 20? What have I done? He said to Jonathan. What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Verse 19. Now therefore, please let my lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, Let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. If David's capture is God's will, David offers himself to Saul right here and now. But the Lord cursed those who are feeding into Saul's paranoia. David continues In verse 20, So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when he one hunts a partridge in the mountainside, in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. 
See, he knows the Lord hasn't told him to seek, to chase David. I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have prayed, played the fool and erred exceedingly. Saul once more admits his sin. He's listened to the wrong people. Will his repentance be genuine this time? Verse 22, And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. You see, David didn't take the spear and jug as trophies. They were simply to illustrate David's claim of innocence. In the next verses, we have David's parting words to King Saul. They probably never meet again. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let the Lord, my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. What a great statement of faith. Now, it doesn't look like it here, but David is just as human as the rest of us. He is riding the human roller coaster of emotional highs and lows. Right now, he's on the mountaintop. Verse 25. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. This might be where Saul truly recognizes that God has chosen David. Finishing chapter 25 and this verse, so David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Now there's no record of Saul pursuing David and his men after this encounter. But with David's moral victory and Saul's confession of sin and guilt, is David feeling safe? I want to look at one more verse before we're done this morning. So take a look with me at the next chapter, verse 1. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. What? I'm sorry. I just couldn't leave us all alone up there on that mountaintop. Okay. David has already toppled back down into feelings of despair. It might be a few days or even a few weeks later, David is back in one of those wilderness caves, sitting with some of his men around a fire in the candlelit darkness, and his emotional roller coaster has already plummeted to another emotional low. Why? David goes on in verse 1. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So that's how I shall escape out of his hand. David is back taking things in his own hands. Does that happen to you at all? <laughs> Boy, that's me. 
And you're probably asking why. I know I did. Well, look again at the first verse in verse 1. And David said to his heart. You see, David's not talking to the Lord here. He's talking to himself, to his heart, to that inner part, his inner thoughts. I call them these, those normal negative tapes that play over and over in our heads when we're struggling. You have them too. Why me? What did I do? Why won't she listen? Why do they always do that to me? Well, here's one last lesson for us this morning. The only way to deal with fears and anxiety and struggles that are going to come every day and have peace in the time of trouble is to talk to the Lord, to pray. Talk to Him. If you talk to yourself, talking to your heart, more than you talk to your father, you'll, be, you'll make big mistakes. But if you choose to talk to the Lord, there will be a genuine peace about you. That's what God's Word tells us. My fifth statement in the back of the bulletin. Bend your knee, open your heart, and wait on the Lord. The end result will be a peace that will keep your heart and mind in Christ and will keep you out of trouble. Or, like David, keep you out of the land of the Philistines. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the life of David. Thank you for showing his strengths and his weaknesses, his beauty and his warts. Thank you, God, that we can see in not only David, but Abigail this morning, the directions that you want for us. So, Lord, we give ourselves in a fresh new way to you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.